And let me just do a quick review. Um, Paul writes to the Galatians and he says, I am totally surprised that you're abandoning the gospel. He starts off saying, I can't believe you are abandoning the truth of the gospel. And we'll get into to what was going on in just a minute. Okay? What happened, though, was false teachers came in and they undermined the gospel, but they also undermined Paul. They said, uh, don't listen to this guy. He's a second-rate apostle with a second-hand gospel. So in chapter 1 and in chapter 2, Paul has to defend not only the gospel, but himself as an apostle. And basically, last week, we looked at his defense of himself as an apostle. First of all, what he needed to do is say, I'm not a second-hand apostle. I got my apostleship directly from Jesus. Jesus appeared to me on the road to Damascus, and he chose me. And then the gospel that I preach, I didn't get it secondhand. I got it firsthand from him. But then the third thing he wanted to prove is that even though he is distinct from the other apostles, he directly was called by Jesus, his gospel that he preaches is in line with the other apostles. When he went to Jerusalem, he laid out the gospel, and he says, they gave me the right hand of fellowship, meaning we're all on the same page. Now, one of the things they were saying about the apostle Paul is, well, he's a man-pleaser. The gospel he preaches is a man-pleasing gospel. And um, he's second to those other apostles. And now what we're going to learn today is Paul's anything but a man-pleaser, And when he went to talk to the other apostles, they didn't correct him. If anything, he corrected Peter. Not Peter's gospel, but Peter's behavior. All right? So let's take a look at what happens here. Galatians 2. But when Cephas, that's Peter, came to... Antioch, Paul was there in Antioch. Peter goes up north into Syria to Antioch to a Gentile church. When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. I opposed him publicly because he stood condemned. Well, what was going on? For before certain men came from James or came from Jerusalem, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. What's going on there? When Peter was in Antioch, he was eating non-kosher. The Gentiles were saved by faith alone in Christ alone, not by keeping Jewish rules. They didn't need to be circumcised. They didn't need to eat kosher. And Peter joins in, and he's eating Gentile food. He's eating the pork sandwich, right? But now some people come from Jerusalem and they say, hey, you know, um, these Gentiles, they can't be saved by faith alone. They need to get circumcised and they need to eat kosher. And what does Peter do? He drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. 
But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Gentile, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Paul versus Peter. Right? Now, um, I thought, how can, how can I explain the complexity of what we're going to cover today? And it gets even more complicated when we factor in uh, what we learned a couple of weeks ago. Um, and, and I thought about it this way. We now have three kids who have been taught how to drive. Right? Josh is, is just learning right now. He gets his license pretty soon. But there are five drivers in the Smith family. Now, um, becoming a mature Christian is kind of like becoming a mature driver. First, when you don't know how to drive, you get in the car, and dad or mom is sitting next to you, and we have to tell you everything, like, that's the keyhole. Put the key in there turn it, right? Um, These are the windshield wipers. This is the blinker. Uh, This this thing is called the seatbelt. Use it, okay? And then it gets real scary. You get out on the road, and it's like, hey, next time you might not want to come up to that stop sign at 90. You might want to just kind of ease up to that thing, right? And don't hit that grandma, and turn left here. And you're basically taking direct cues from mom or dad, and you are responding, okay? Now, as you get older and more experienced, you want to get to the point where you are making multiple decisions simultaneously and spontaneously without being told. That's a pretty good definition of a a Christian. The older you get... You're taking all this Bible knowledge and you're putting it into practice and you're making multiple decisions simultaneously and spontaneously without somebody else telling you everything. Okay? Now, a few weeks ago, we looked at the the complexities of the whole weaker brother, stronger brother issue. Um, How do you know whether you should partake of certain activities. And what we said is, um, there are clear black and white, right and wrong issues in the Bible, but then there are gray issues. How do you know what gray issues you should or shouldn't partake of? And it boiled down to this. If your conscience is sensitive and, and you feel guilty partaking of certain activities, Paul says, then don't partake of those, those activities. On the other hand, if your conscience is free, then go ahead and partake of those activities. In fact, in Romans 14, he says, be convinced in your own mind, but don't cause a weaker brother to stumble by compelling them to go against their conscience. Now, at first, Peter seems to be following this rule, right? In one setting, he eats, co- he eats non-kosher. In the next setting, he switches to kosher, right? But Paul seems to think he's absolutely wrong because we're dealing with a different issue here. There's the weaker, weaker brother, stronger brother issue. This 
is a salvation issue. And then on top of that, we're going to add a third complexity. There's the the weaker brother, stronger brother, which deals with your conscience and other people's conscience. There's salvation, which is what Galatians 2 is about. And then there's the issue of evangelism and not raising unnecessary cultural barriers to the people you're trying to reach. And each one of these is very complicated. But then what I want you to do is be a mature Christian and be able to... Here we go. I haven't done this in a while. But I want you to be able to juggle uh all three of these at the same time and factor everything all in like you're driving down the road or like you're juggling. That's where we want to go. Okay? So let's hit each of these again and see, uh, see what we can learn. Let's talk, first of all, this is kind of a review, the issue of conscience or the weaker brother, stronger brother issue. Again, there are black and white, right and wrong issues. Don't murder people, pretty clear, right? Don't steal. Don't commit adultery. Those are black and white issues. They apply to everybody. Then there are gray issues. How do you know whether you should partake in those gray issues that aren't necessarily sin, but some people don't feel right participating in them? Paul says, if your conscience bothers you, then don't participate in those. Now, the presenting issue is food. And in the letter to the Corinthians, it was food sacrificed to idols. In Corinth, there were pagan temples. And they would have pagan sacrifices in the temple. But then the animal that was sacrificed, the meat afterwards, was sold in a butcher shop attached or next to the pagan temple. Question, you are now a Christian. You have come out of paganism. Is it a sin to eat the meat that was sacrificed in the temple? Now, Paul says this. 1 Corinthians 10, 21. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Now, here he's addressing the Christian who not only bought the meat in the meat market, but who actually went in the temple and participated in the worship of the idol. And Paul's like, are you crazy? You can't on Sunday participate in communion and on Monday go into the pagan temple. Stay out of the temple. There's a clear black and white. Okay? But now... What about just going to the butcher shop and buying the meat and eating the meat? Is that wrong? Now, you would think, you would think he would say, anything to do with idolatry, avoid. But here's what he says. Whatever's sold in the meat market without raising any question, or eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. Go ahead. Don't, don't let it bother you. You say, but wait a minute. Doesn't that purchase of that meat go economically to supporting immorality? Yeah. 
Paul didn't make the connection, though. He said, you know, if that bothers you, then don't do it. On the other hand, if it doesn't bother you, it's okay. On what basis can you eat the meat? For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Okay? God gave us meat. Like the guy said, if God wanted us to be vegetarians, why did he make animals out of meat? Okay? So, here, stay out of the pagan temple, but if your conscience doesn't bother you, go ahead, buy the meat, eat the meat. Okay? Unless, unless you're eating the meat causes a person whose conscience is bothered by that to stumble. He gives this scenario. He says, if one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you're disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any questions on the ground of conscience. So here's, here's a whole new thought. When you're with unbelievers, you're trying to reach them, eat whatever is put before you. That's kind of a missionary rule, Right? If they, if they want to serve you monkey eyeballs, you eat the monkey eyeballs, right? <laughs> monkey brains, okay? Um, don't create a stumbling block because of your persnickety Western values. Eat whatever. Don't insult them about their food, okay? But if someone, now, the question is who's the someone, Uh, Is this an unbeliever or a believer? Most of the commentators I read said the someone here is a a Christian because the whole context is not causing your brother to stumble. So if a a fellow Christian says to you, hey, this has been offered in sacrifice. This not only was bought in the meat market, but they, they sacrificed it to Baal or Aphrodite. Okay, What do you do then? Then do not eat it. For the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. I don't mean your conscience, but his. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? In other words, now you're juggling a whole bunch of stuff here. The unbeliever, you don't want to offend them. On the other hand, you've got the believer who has a sensitive conscience and they're like, you know, that's been sacrificed to an idol. What he says is, here's the rule of thumb. You don't want to make them stumble, just eat the vegetables. Okay? Um... Here here it is. Sum it all up. We can all have different levels of conviction about gray issues. Be fully convinced in your own mind. But let others be fully convinced in their own minds. Don't entice others to go against their sensitive conscience. Don't judge others for their freedom of conscience. In other words, let's be mature and let everybody have different levels of conviction and gray issues. All right? Now, that is just one ball. And that's complicated enough, isn't it? All right? That's the conscience ball. But now, we're going to introduce the second ball. And this is our main text today. Salvation. Okay? Again... When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. This is clear. This is not a gray issue. This is black and white. Peter was wrong here. There's no, hey, it depends on his... This is absolutely wrong, okay? 
For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. Okay, now, this is not meat sacrificed to idols. This is kosher diet. Must Gentiles not only trust Christ to be saved, must they also keep everything in the Mosaic law, especially getting circumcised and eating kosher. Okay? Paul blows a gasket that Peter pulls back from eating Gentile food, and now he's just eating kosher with the Jewish Christians. You know, back then when they had communion, it wasn't this sterile little cup. They had a potluck. And at one point, Peter's like, pass the pork, eating with the Gentiles. Give me a bratwurst, all right? But then word comes from Jerusalem, hey, this is a controversy. So, so Peter is now back to just eating kosher with the Jews, but the issue isn't weaker brother, stronger brother. The issue is, must I eat certain food, have a certain diet to be justified before God? Okay? Now get this. When the matter is respecting another brother's conscience, Paul bends over backwards not to offend. When the matter becomes corrupting the gospel of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, Paul is willing to go to war even against Peter, his fellow apostle. Why so serious, Paul? Because once you add works to the gospel, people go to hell. Did you get that? Once you add works to the gospel, believe in Jesus plus do the following things, it's no longer a gospel. It's a false gospel, and it sends people to hell, and Paul will confront Peter publicly to his face for his behavior because the gospel is at stake. Any religious system that says your works play a part in you being declared right before God is of hell. You know, um, by the way, don't mean to offend you, but the reason there's a Protestant and a Catholic church is over this issue. One's right, one's wrong. And as nicey-nice as we want to be, one preaches a false gospel. This is the issue. In fact, this book is what started the Protestant Reformation. You know, uh, and it's not only in Catholic Protestant. It's in Protestant churches, too. You know, at one point, we were, um, we were looking for land and buildings and so forth. And we talked to a number of churches to say, hey, you know, are you interested in merging at all? And one church, I went and talked to the pastor. Dan was with me, right? And um, we started talking about what we have in common. 
And then the question of baptism came up. And um, I said, do you believe that you must be baptized to be saved? Yes. I said, well, we're done now. We can't even talk anymore. Over that? Yes. Over that. Now, he and I agreed that a truly saved person will get baptized. In fact, if you don't get baptized, I have to wonder why not. I mean, you're bowing your knee to Jesus as Lord, and the very first thing he tells you to do is get baptized, and you're going to say no to your Lord? What's wrong with you? But there's a huge difference between saying a truly saved person will get baptized and saying you better get baptized because it saves you. Now we're adding a work to the gospel. And we gloss it over today like it doesn't matter, and I think it sends people to hell. I'm a minority, minority voice crying in the wilderness, but I'm with Luther. I'm with Calvin. I'm with the small minority of people who say justification is by grace alone through faith alone, in Christ alone, and any other gospel is anathema. It sends people to hell. Okay? Now, um, what we're talking about here is legalism, adding works to the gospel to be justified. Now, I call that legalism one. Let me talk about a second kind of legalism, legalism two. Legalism one is adding works to salvation. Legalism two is what I call burden dumping. What's burden dumping? It's adding a bunch of man-made rules to the Christian life that weighs people down and sucks the joy out of them. Jesus put it this way about the Pharisees. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. You know why Pharisees love to dump a bunch of extra rules on people? Because basically they're trying to impress God and others with how spiritual they are. And if they can dump a bunch of rules on others and others struggle under the weight, it makes them feel better about how they're doing. And Jesus condemns this, adding a bunch of man-made rules, not to the gospel, but just to the Christian life. So people are staggering around saying, I guess I've got to keep this and this and this, and I've got to keep on top of all these things. And, <sighs> you know, uh, let me give you an example of this. The Pharisees and the scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. They were going through the fields, and you were allowed to glean grain from the wheat and eat it as you go. But the Pharisees said, Ah, gotcha! You didn't use the hand sanitizer the way the elders say. Then they had these rules. You had to use a certain amount of water, and you had to pour it over your hand, and it had to drip down your elbow. It's not in the Bible. But it was a tradition that developed over time. And they said, ah, he's not holy. He doesn't do the hand-washing thing. 
So does Jesus say, oh, I'm so sorry. I, I will, I'll fit into your rules. No, here's what he says. He answered them, and why do you break the command, commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? You've elevated your tradition above the commandment of God. You hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Don't dump a bunch of extra biblical rules on one another and weigh people down. Jesus is not happy with that. That's legalism too. Okay? So here we have, okay, first ball you're juggling is the conscience ball. Is my conscience bothered by, in, with certain gray areas? Then obey your conscience. If you have freedom, be concerned about the other person's conscience. Now we've got the salvation ball. Okay? Is my behavior contributing to some concept that salvation is not by faith alone, but faith plus something? But now we add a third ball. Okay? And this is the culture ball. And here we're talking about evangelism. Okay? Here you have to ask the question, am I erecting unnecessary Christian cultural barriers between me and my unsaved neighbor. Now, let me try to clarify this by giving you an example from one chapter in Scripture where all three of these come into play. It's Acts chapter 15. Okay, In Acts chapter 15, here's the issue. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Now let me ask you, which ball are we dealing with here? Salvation, right? You can't be saved by believing in Jesus alone. You've got to be circumcised. This is salvation. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. This is the first church council in the history of the Christian church. Paul and Barnabas are going to meet in Jerusalem with all the apostles and the elders of the Jerusalem church, and they are going to settle this question. Must Gentiles be circumcised to be saved? Now, here's the discussion. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God who knows the heart bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. Now remember in Acts chapter 10, Peter doesn't want to go to these Gentiles this Gentile's house, Cornelius, but he goes, he preaches the gospel, and they get saved. They start speaking in tongues. 
the, the evidence of the Holy Spirit is clear. And guess what? They still had not been circumcised. So Peter says, hey, that proves that Gentiles can be saved by faith alone. He brings that up here. Verse 9, and he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the necks of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? No, Peter's, Peter's opinion, circumcision, is not necessary for salvation. Now, Paul and Barnabas, it's their turn. Or... Uh, yeah, this is, this is still Peter. But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. Okay? Now, Paul and Barnabas. And all the assembly fell silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. Okay? So now, in essence, Peter says the Gentiles were saved and God did miracles amongst them without them being circumcised. Paul and Barnabas say, we preach the gospel. And the Gentiles believed and God did miracles amongst them without them being circumcised. Okay? Now James, after they finished speaking, James replied, brothers, listen to me. And he expounds some scripture, but here's his conclusion. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God. Stop right there. James, Peter, Paul. All agree, salvation is by faith alone, in Christ alone, not by works, not by circumcision. But now, it gets a little confusing. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols, meat sacrificed to idols, and from sexual immorality, and from what has been strangled and from blood. And he gives a reason. For from ancient generations, Moses has had, uh, has had in every city those who proclaim him. For he has read every Sabbath in the synagogues. Is he saying you're not saved by circumcision, but you are saved by refraining from meat sacrificed to idols and meat with blood in it? No. We are now, okay, the first, the first issue was salvation. What are we talking about now? We're back to the weaker brother issue. He's saying, you don't need to be circumcised. But listen, you do need to get along. And Moses has been preached in all the synagogues in the Gentile world. And the Jews find your diet repulsive. So rather than asking them uh, to change their diet, we're asking you out of love to not cause them to stumble. This is now, okay, we've started with the salvation issue. Now it's a fellowship issue or a conscience issue. Okay? But now it gets even more complicated. So let me ask you this. Do Gentiles need to be circumcised to be saved? Yes or no? Do Jews who believe in Jesus need to be circumcised to be saved? No. It would be smart to just make circumcision a non-issue, right? Wrong. 
Chapter 15 is all about you don't need to be circumcised. You don't need to be circumcised. You don't need to be circumcised. You turn the chapter to turn the page to chapter 16. Paul came also to Derby and Lystra. A disciple uh, was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him. Because of the Jews who were in those parts, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. What? What's going on here? Paul didn't circumcise Timothy for salvation. Paul didn't circumcise Timothy to appease anyone's conscience. Paul circumcised Timothy for evangelism purposes. To remove a cultural barrier so they could go into the synagogue. No Jew is going to listen to a guy whose mother is Jewish unless he's circumcised. So for the sake of the salvation of the people we're trying to reach, Timothy, hand me the knife and come here. See, the third ball you need to juggle is not just what are people going to think in my little church world, but what effect am I having upon the non-believer with the choices I make? Okay? In essence, what Paul and Timothy are doing here is they're living out this verse. To the Jews I become as a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law, I become as one under the law. Timothy, give me the knife. We're going by the law. Why? To win the Jews. Okay. Though not being myself under the law, I'm not under that law. Neither are you, Timothy. You don't have to do this to be saved, but we're going to do it for salvation, for evangelism, that I might win those under the law. Now, to those outside the law, I become as one outside the law. Pass the pork sandwich. Okay, Not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ. We're not outside of the moral law here. That I might win those outside the law. And here's the principle. To the weak I become weak, that I might win the weak. I've become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. So, let me give you an example. Um, we lived in Appleton, Wisconsin for 10 years. And... Um, it's, it's a different culture up there. You talk about missionary training, right? I'm the only bear fan in a sea of green. Okay? And I would say it's probably 80% Catholic and Lutheran up there. So I'm this Baptist. Baptist bear fan in Appleton, Wisconsin. Now, um... During Lent, Lent's not in the Bible. There is no Lent in the Bible. During Lent, um, that's the 40 days before Easter, it's supposed to be a time of introspection and self-sacrifice. Um, and when I grew up Catholic, I usually gave up candy for 40 days. We had a little jar. Whenever we got candy, we put the candy in the jar. Then Easter morning, sugar rush. 
because your body hadn't had any carbs for 40 days, and now you're like eating the jelly beans, and wow, and at church you're just like crazy, okay? So um, in Appleton, there's so much Lent being practiced that you're driving down the main street, and there's, there's restaurants advertising Lenten special all-you-can-eat fish fry on Friday night because uh, as part of the self-sacrifice, you're supposed to give up meat. And fish doesn't qualify as meat. So um, you, you eat meat on Fridays during Lent, which I always found funny because I love to go to an all-you-can-eat perch fish fry. That's not very sacrificial at all, but it's just part of the culture. So now, I'm invited out to dinner by some unbelievers. We're going to go to the all-you-can-eat fish fry. What do I do? Do I raise uh, a point and say, hey, this is legalistic man-made rules, I'm ordering a steak. I think Paul would say, shut up and eat the fish. Just eat the fish. Don't don't raise a barrier that doesn't need to be raised. Now, if in the course of the meal, they say, I'm glad you ordered fish, because if you ordered the burger, you'd be going straight to hell. That's when I would order the burger. (laughs) Now it's a gospel issue. But if it's just a cultural issue, you, you go over to their house, you eat fish, you talk about the Packers, right? Because why, why let your little Christian-y culture stuff uh, be a barrier between you and trying to reach somebody for the gospel? You know, some Christians can be so Christian-y in gray matters that they alienate non-Christians, Other Christians can be so worldly that they draw other Christians into sin. And I want you to see there's a lot of factors that go into making mature decisions in living the Christian life. Probably a good rule of thumb is this. You know you're you're walking right when you're getting bruises from both sides. Right? Sometimes, you know... There are some cases where you just can't win. What if you go out and you eat the fish, but then a Christian brother says, do you know that, that uh, uh, that's been sacrificed to an idol? And you've got another one who says, so, so you've got evangelism issues and you've got weaker brother issues. And you, sometimes you just, you know, there isn't a template that you can follow. And that's where you pray, you trust the Holy Spirit, and you make the best decision you can. Now, one last thing. Isn't, aren't all these variables man-pleasing? Isn't this taking into consideration others way too much? Yes, it is man-pleasing. There's an ungodly kind of man-pleasing and a godly kind of man-pleasing. And here's what Paul says. So whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, 
do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone. He's a man pleaser. A godly man pleaser. Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. That's a pretty good place to end. Let's have the worship team come up.